Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. The long, drawn-out drama of the U.S. presidential election is over, and the end result is as you were. President Obama is back in the White House, and the lower half of Congress, the House of Representatives, is still controlled by the Republicans. So has anything really changed? And what does President Obama's re-election mean for America's relations with the outside world? Joining me in the studio is Lionel Barber, the editor of the FT, who was in the U.S. for the last week of the election. And on the line from Washington is our bureau chief there, Richard McGregor. Lionel, the markets fell very sharply the day after President Obama was re-elected. It's not exactly a kind of welcome home present. What, what was going on? Well, the market, that's the equity market, had gone up at least more than 10% this year. So in a way, it was due for a bit of correction. And if you think it, market in general went down 10%, Apple, by the way, down 20%, uh, there was always going to be a correction. I think this is immediately driven by fears of the so-called fiscal cliff that is, how are the Republicans and Democrats and President Obama going to resolve this medium-term budget crisis in terms of raising taxes, which is a no-no for Republicans, and cutting spendings, which has been a no-no for Democrats? So that is the big question. What's your reading of it? Do you think that they will slither over the fiscal cliff or they'll come to a deal? I think we're going to have a sticky few weeks. In the immediate aftermath of the election, with a decisive victory by President Obama, the Republicans, uh, John Boehner, the House Speaker, was making some conciliatory noises. But I've seen that movie before, after 2004, when President Bush was re-elected. There was a lot of talk of bipartisanship, and then it sort of degenerated. I think there's going to be some very sticky bargaining. I'm not sure whether we'll slither over the fiscal cliff, but we'll come close. Richard, I guess a lot of it depends on how the two sides interpret the results. Will the Republicans be chastened and decide that they need to be more compromising? Or will they go to the right and say, well, you know, we lost with a relatively moderate candidate. Let's now stick with our Tea Party principles. How do you read it? Well, it's very hard to say. I mean, I'd say there's a very good chance we drop off the fiscal cliff for a few days. Um, The the House uh, has not changed uh, fundamentally in composition. John Boehner says that the Republican House has a mandate as well. And I don't think there's any appetite amongst his members for lifting marginal tax rates, which is the big issue. He talks about getting any revenues, but that's mainly from growth and closing a number of tax loopholes. Of course, on the other side, President Obama has now run twice and been elected twice explicitly talking about lifting tax rates or making the wealthy millionaires and billionaires, in his form of words, pay higher taxes. And he's got his base as well. You know, if he backs down now, then I think the Republicans will just consider him a pushover and his own base won't be happy. Um, They would think he's got a mandate. So it's going to be a very sticky few weeks, as Lionel says. And do you think that he is somebody who is really able to confront the House? His speech on the night of the election was going back to this old, you know, we're one America, red and blue America doesn't really exist, really attempting to paint a conciliatory picture. But behind that, do you think he's ready for a confrontation? 
Well, he's got to do both. One of the problems with uh, Mr. Obama is that as of about 18 months ago, his explicit political tactic was to confront the Republicans. He didn't think they were going to be conciliatory, so he gave up on it. If we have a sort of a patchwork deal which takes us out, say, to the end of next year, uh, can in the meantime the president start to charm, cajole, seduce, buy off a few of the Republicans, as other presidents have done? That's possible, but he needs to do more than confront them because um, I doubt that'll be enough. I think that President Obama is going to say to himself, I'm tired of being pushed around by these Republicans. I do have a mandate. I want a decisive victory. And this, by the way, ought to be a reasonable deal. Some new revenues, I mean, you can call them. I was hearing on Wall Street last week a temporary surcharge. I, it's not a tax increase because it's not permanent. These kind of phrases. He's got to show a bit of guile and some real backbone. And I think he's ready for that on the back of this victory. Now, Lionel, I mean, the FT endorsed President Obama. So looking beyond the immediate problem, big problem of the fiscal cliff, if you had to look at the whole term, what would you think should be his priorities? What would we want him to do? It's very important to remember that the economy is recovering very slowly. If he could get a deal on the fiscal cliff and then tax reform, then he goes for immigration reform, which, remember, the Republicans were just beaten out of sight on the Latino vote, seven out of 10 Hispanics voted for Obama, then I I think he could really come up being a great president um, with a real substantive record. And that's leaving aside any external crises. But on the domestic side, there is the real prospect of achievement if, if he shows executive leadership and some guile. Now, Richard, uh of course, your previous post was in Beijing, and they're having a party congress and a change of leadership there. I was struck during the presidential, the last presidential debate that both candidates took a fairly confrontational line on China. We've got this bubbling dispute between China and Japan, and also continuing arguments over trade. Do you think that relations with China could loom very large in President Obama's second term, or do you think he'll be able to keep keep it relatively low-key? Well, I think they'll loom large and larger. I think the relationship becomes more important all the time because, uh, you know, China is growing and China is becoming more assertive. And Chinese diplomacy in Asia is in a great deal of trouble. You mentioned the, the ongoing dispute in the East China Sea between China and Japan. Japan is the U.S.'s most important ally in the Pacific, and Sino-Japanese relations have a real prospect of blowing up and even having, you know, some kind of military confrontation. I don't think that's an exaggeration. So that is of great concern to the U.S., and I'm sure they're trying to talk to both sides in that to cool things down. You know, in Beijing, we're going to have the first year of, of a new government, and they're going to have to find their feet as well. And I think, frankly, They've got economic problems. Their greater interest is in a stable international economic environment and good relations with the U.S. And that's always what has prevailed despite their myriad of problems in the longer term. Lionel, of course, the other area, again, looking at that last foreign policy debate, although they keep saying they want to think mainly about Asia, they actually spend 80 percent of the time on the Middle East. Do you see this long anticipated crisis with Iran being the story of Obama's first year potentially? I think President Obama is going to tread very carefully. He has said that he's not prepared to support uh, Iran gaining the bomb, a nuclear bomb. 
So he's clearly put the military option on the table, but I cannot help but think that he will want to make a serious diplomatic overture to the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei sometime in 2013 before, in other words, the military option is exercised. So possibly even these direct talks, which he was accused by the Republicans of contemplating and never really directly denied. There's a lot of chatter about back-channel contacts between Washington and Tehran, not necessarily at an official level. Whether you get to direct talks, as we, we know we have the permanent five, we've, uh, the, the, that is the, uh, the Europeans are talking to the Iranians and the Chinese and Russians are sort of there with through the UN uh, sanctions against Iran. But I, I think ultimately, if there is a deal to be done, there has to be direct bilateral talks between Iran and the US. And Richard, the one issue that uh, was not mentioned at all in that debate uh, was Europe. And yet I get the impression when I go to Washington that behind the scenes, it's been a major preoccupation for the Americans, not least because it plays into the whole question of the health of their own economy. Or do you think that they're now getting a bit more relaxed about that? Again, how much sort of brain space and time are the Obama administration going to have to spend on Europe? Well, I think they're more relaxed about it in as much it's not about to upset Mr. Obama's re-election. Obviously, that was a major issue, really 18 months out from the poll. But I think there'll continue to be a large amount of bandwidth or brain space, as you put it, applied to Europe. But it will be cut off at the knees in some respects because the U.S. is still a bystander to what's happening in Europe. It can offer advice, but it can't do much more than that, even through its voting power in the IMF. I think in Washington they feel captive of events there and particularly captive of German domestic politics, if you like. So I think they're very preoccupied with it, but still with little ability to really decisively influence events there. I think there's immense frustration in Washington about the Eurozone crisis. If you like, the crisis has not been resolved because people are still talking about the causes. They have to be addressed. That's the German stance. Germans don't want to give... Uh, the Greeks more space, more money, more time. And the Americans are saying, for goodness sake, just resolve this. The ECB has said it will stand ready to intervene in the bond market. So that's half of the solution. The real worry, both in Washington and on Wall Street, is a combination of a crisis over the fiscal cliff and a renewal of the sovereign debt crisis, where, for example, Spain is rebuffed over a bailout. That combination could really hurt the markets. And by the way, not just the equity markets, Gideon, that you were referring to earlier, but the bond markets, that is interest rates. Okay. And last question then, Lyle, if we're lucky enough to avoid these double crises that you talk of, so much of what we're talking about, about America's position in the world, ultimately depends on the strength of the American economy. Do you think Obama and maybe the American people were signaling this has got America beyond the worst? And in the second term of Obama, we will see a revival of the strength of the American economy, which we're familiar with and which was so important to the world in previous decades. I was again struck in the week that I was in America of how there is a sort of latent bullishness about the country. If you could only get through the fiscal cliff crisis and have a reasonable settlement on the budget and uh, then you can see some very important factors weighing in American economy's favor. Number one, as one Wall Street veteran said, we fixed our banks, 
unlike Europe. Number two, we're moving towards energy independence thanks to the shale gas revolution. Number three, we've got a manufacturing renaissance. Number four, we've got Canada energy on our doorstep, plus Mexico growing like gangbusters. So you've got the NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Area dividend coming back. Growth picking up substantially in 2014. It just could be uh, America's greatest years of still to come. As President Obama indeed said. So thank you very much, Lionel Barber. And thanks also to Richard McGregor in Washington and to Martin Starber here in the studio. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.